This past week, Chazan Shechter and I had an opportunity that was quite a privilege, which was to address a gathering of renewal rabbis and cantors who would gather every year until the pandemic in the vicinity of our teacher, Reb Zalma Shechter, Shalom, may peace be upon him, Allah Shalom. And for the last few years, obviously, we've been meeting virtually, and so it was across the street in the Romo Center that we gathered to speak with them about a topic that, a theme that had been chosen by the committee for Ohala for this rabbinical association, a theme that had to do with uncertainty and with not knowing, which of course is of a theme with where we are. It's of a piece. The verse that they chose was from last week's Torah portion, V'nach, anachnu lo neida ma navodet ya. Where Moses, after the ninth plague, the penultimate plague, the plague of darkness, Moses is brought in before Pharaoh, who is now finally ready to fully negotiate in good faith with Moses. He throws up his hands and says, Moses, I'm done. You can go. Take your children. No problem. Don't leave anyone behind. Just your cattle leave here. And Moses says to Pharaoh, are you kidding? Leave our cattle behind? We're not leaving anything behind. In fact, you're going to give us your cattle, and then we'll have our cattle. And that still might not be enough. And when the verse appears, the verse that becomes a theme, Moses says, we don't know. We might not have enough. We won't know until we get there. My teacher, Rab Zalman, used to frequently quote this verse as a way of saying that you really don't know what tools you'll need until you arrive in the place and read the space, right? That planning is wonderful, but really, a man's tracht and God laughed, right? We, can, we, can, we, we plan and then God laughs. And so best to leave ourselves adaptable and flexible to the contours of the moment that we will arrive in and let that inform us. That's why Reb Zalman read that verse. Problem, of course, with the verse is not the not knowing, it's the knowing. The verse seems to imply that when we do arrive, though, we will know. Right? We don't know until we get there. But when we get there, we'll know. The problem with that, of course, is that even when we get there, sometimes we have no idea. In fact, more often than not, we don't get there. There is no shama to arrive. This notion that we will arrive there, and the commentaries, of course, say that there means Mount Sinai, when we will get the law, that didn't really help because Moses broke the law. There is a sense of futility in arriving at the place that the Torah doesn't seem to allow for, at least in its simple reading. Of course, that's underscored by the sense that Mount Sinai is the most important place that we will ever arrive. But the Torah herself doesn't actually leave us in that, quote unquote, place. The Torah ends before we arrive at any place. And even the lawgiver, Moses, who arrives at the place of Sinai with some sense of certainty and divine revelation, 
will not himself make it into the land that he had been promised. There is ultimately the victory of the sense that arrival never fully takes place, that celebrates and recognizes that the path is full of unknowns. And one of the greatest things and the greatest difficulties that we have is giving up on that finality, that sense that we will in fact one day get there. How does one admit that there is no full arrival without also despairing of trying to get somewhere? with trying to make incremental improvements, taking one step. If there is in fact nowhere to go, maybe we should just stay here. So lest we think that that is an abstract reality, let me make it more abstract. In our tradition, and certainly as it's played out in the Song of the Sea that we read this morning, there is a dynamic between a God who is knowable and a God that we can never know. In this past week's Hasidic master's class, we discussed the teachings of the famous B'nai Saskar Tzvili Melech of Dinov, who began the Munkach lineage within Hasidism, who writes on the first few verses of this week's Torah portion, the Jewish people say, they point in the second verse of the Song of the Sea, this is my God with the finger of certainty. Eli, this is my God. But immediately at the end of the verse, it says, Aviv the God of my father that I will exalt. And the Rebbe says, that phrase is to be understood as the God who is beyond my own understanding. Not the God that I know in this present moment, but the God that is galactic, that is cosmic, that is the God of all peoples, the God beyond forms, and the God that we can't point to, that we can't hold on to, the God that we can't put into our little boxes and frames, the God that can't be studied at Harvard Divinity School any more than he can be studied at Carmine's restaurant on Broadway and 90th Street. That there's no there there. There's no getting closer to infinity, just infinity. And the Rebbe says that the beauty of the Song of the Seas that was in spite of that impossible goal of arriving at the God whom we can never arrive at a full understanding of, the Jewish people in this moment, the Israelites, the free slaves say, that God is still intimate, is personal, graspable at where we are and that that matters, that what we attain as we grow and as we elevate, it matters. Small incremental changes matter. And even if the distal, distant goal seems impossible, even if we might never arrive at it in its fullness, our small victories are not irrelevant. Our small victories are not futile, they are not insignificant, they are nonetheless true, and that we hold that truth to be our Mobius strip, our riddle, that riddle that keeps us firmly rooted in the world of what we can do, and that that matters, and firmly humble 
by all that there is to do and that will never be accomplished, but that points us in the direction of the holy. These two truths, the local and the global, the graspable and the incomprehensible, are like those two pieces of paper in the pocket of every person that one great Rebbe said we should always have. One that says, the world was created for me, and I am but dust and ashes. Who am I? The psalmist says, what are we? You know, all we are is dust blowing in the wind. Right? Same old song. What can we do in the face of infinity? What is a speck of dust? What is our life? What are our pains, our trials, our tribulations, our waking up in the morning, our going to bed at night, the career we choose or don't? What are any of the things that we give great import to, the buildings that we build, the projects that we begin, the progress that we make? Of what matter is it in the infinity of stories, of galaxies beyond comprehension, but you, God, Says the psalmist, you remember our small progress, the small gods that we worship, the particularities of our stories, the particularities of the frames that we use, of the neighborhoods we live in, of the faces we meet each and every day, that matters. Our God is a great God, says one African-American spiritual. Our God is a great God. A God is a local God and a cosmopolitan God. A God spans infinity and the finite, the cries of the baby and the galaxies exploding. It matters if a black man is murdered, that those people are brought to justice, that matters to our God. That matters to us what's happening around the corner in this neighborhood and neighborhoods that you are in. It matters whether or not there will be voting rights and laws passed to protect those voting rights. It matters. In the grand scheme of things, we might say, who are we? We'll never get there. Maybe Dr. King would have despaired at some moment to say, like, what difference does it make if justice will be served? But it matters. And yet we're humbled enough to know that the journey is big, like our God. We might never arrive there. We might never fully understand why it is that the world is the way it is. We might not fully understand or grok, you know, the telescope might not bring back the information that we so deeply desire to know about the origins of consciousness and being itself. But nonetheless, here we are. This is the God that I understand. This is the project that lies before me, and it's no less important, no less pivotal, no less powerful, no less cosmic, because ultimately, infinity stands before us. It matters, and it's true. And I want to say lastly this morning, the Shabbat, that it's not lost on me that it was two years ago this Shabbat that I gave a sermon 
about a certain part of this community, the particularity of this Jewish story. Two years ago, I stood in this space and I spoke to what I think it means to be a proud Jew at this moment in history. I spoke about the beauty and the power of our tradition, of our sacred symbols, our sacred language, our sacred texts. I spoke from the heart of someone who was once in a place of radical rejection of those symbols and radical rejection of those texts. As someone who said to himself, you know, it's imperfect, all of it. It's ethically problematic, some of it. It's misogynistic, some of it. It's racist, some of it. It's anti, some of it. It's all of those things. But as someone who sought to redeem those symbols and that text, I stood here and said that the essence of our community and communities like ours was to stay in the symbols even as we seek to transfigure them and transform those symbols. There might be people who walk into our sanctuary who have a problem with Hebrew, but will still chant in Hebrew. There might be people who come into our sanctuary who say the text of your Torah is deeply ethnocentric and in fact invites genocide from way, way back. And we invite them to come in and share that wisdom with us, but we will continue to stand in that tradition and transform it from within, acknowledging its shadow, acknowledging its darkness, but nonetheless holding up this imperfect tradition that we have received and taking up the mantle of transformation that is our obligation. And so too, with our relationship with symbols like the American flag and symbols like the Israeli flag, its symbol doesn't exhaust the depth of what it means for me or the depth of what it might mean for you. Many of you here might see the American flag and think, oh, has Roma become a nationalist organization? <laughs> Have we become, right, in some way, shape, or form, those who bandy a flag about and say that our country, tis of thee, perfect as it is, without its warts and blemishes, so to the Israeli flag, nothing could be further from the truth. As we stand here today reading Torah that has in it much shadow, that seeks to be transformed, much that is imperfect, that seeks perfection, we too stand here in the fullness of the symbols of our tradition, knowing that it, it is full of shadow, but dedicating ourselves nonetheless to embracing the particularity of our path and our obligation to transform those symbols, that is an obligation that we are all called to do. So on this weekend, where we honor the vision of a dream that has been deferred but that God willing one day will be fully fulfilled. We too dream of a world where we hold our particularities with humility and pride, both and not either or. May that great majestic vision of a world and of a dream where all of God's children can play together in deep humanity and deep recognition. May that dream be fulfilled in our day speedily. And let us all say, Amen. Amen.